I'm Tom Stringer with Tom Stringer Design Partners based in Chicago, and you're listening to Convo by Design. I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a new type of resource for design creatives from the Hudson Valley in upstate New York. The Beck is a creative resource and the brainchild of Anna Claudia Schultz of Anna Claudia Design and her husband, Aaron Smile, a tax professional. Located in downtown Rhinebeck, here is how Anna Claudia and Aaron define their business. The Beck amplifies local creative voices and engages with the Hudson Valley community. Dutchess County's new creative hub serves a multi-purpose event space and gallery that displays local artists' works to inspire creators and embrace the Hudson Valley community, as well as house the founding duo's office spaces. So basically, this is a mixed-use space providing creative and business resources in an up-and-coming design city. This is a boutique community with a major design house, which you've heard about already here on the podcast. 2021 is going to be an amazing year for designers, no doubt about it. You already know this, and if you're going to keep up, with the sheer amount of work, keeping up with clients, tracking down orders, sourcing new product, with the PPP, CARES Act, business loans, and all the other money matters, how are you handling the flexible tax issues of 2020? You're thinking about it now. Relax. The following conversation might shed some light on the business side of things, as well as inspire you a little bit. This is husband and wife team and the founders of The Beck, Aaron Smile and Anna Claudia Schultz. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their very best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple with the support you need. They've been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a series in partnership with Walker Zenger called The Showroom. This intimate interview series showcases some of the very best creatives in the business today. Please join us live or catch every episode recorded so you can enjoy it on your schedule. Walker Zenger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online. WalkerZenger.com I don't know about you guys, but I miss in-person meetings. Yes. Um, part of my business is predicated on that trust and yeah. seeing somebody and shaking a hand and, yeah. you know, in some senses, sizing somebody up and figuring out who you're dealing with. Um, I, I miss that also. I mean, this is kind of a, a decent way, um, but I still prefer the, the in-person. Are we ever still meet people in person. I still, because I go on sites and, and stuff like that. So, so I still meet my clients, you know, in person and so forth. Um, there's been a couple of clients that I haven't met in person, but for the most part, you know, there's no way I have to go on site and see the, the physical conditions of things. And, and that's the opportunity to see them, but it's, you know, masks. So some people, I, I don't think I've seen them like past this. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's funny too. Are we ever going to shake hands again? It's the weirdest thing. I think so. Um, I, I mean, people need to remember this is, I mean, obviously this is a literally a once in a century situation. Um, but a year 
if we look forward a year, we'll realize some of the things that we thought about a year ago. And I think a lot of people are clamoring to get back to normal. I think that hygiene may be a little bit more of an important factor, but I don't think there'll be a substitute for shaking hands, you know, or, or giving a, a, a hug. Um, I don't think that that'll change going forward, especially if there's a vaccine. You know, I'm going to go the other way on that um, and, and sort of suggest, I've been talking to a lot of people, you know, it's not specifically about hugs and handshakes. I think that's the, that's the least of it. One of the things, you know, in talking to so many creatives and professionals, I've realized that, you know, when this whole thing started, we talked about these are unprecedented times, right? These are not unprecedented times. Um, there's plenty of support for everything that's happening now. You know, the, the last pandemic was 1918 here. But you know what? We've had SARS. We've had swine flu. We've had, um, you know, you name it. There's the Ebola crisis that seems to pop its head up every every decade or so. I think that what's freaking everybody out is that it happened so quickly, and mm -hmm. I think there was such there was such a sense of invincibility. You know what I mean? And because of that, you know, you start looking backwards. That's just on the health side. We've had recessions, we've had wars, we've had terrorist attacks, we've had all kinds of things that have that have affected the society as as a whole. The one thing that I think is really interesting is that, and I'm a firm believer in this, that designers and architects really are the ones who are going to define the way we live coming out of this, which is one, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you two. You guys, I love partnerships. I talk about partnerships all the time. You have a really interesting partnership. You've got the professional, you've got the personal, but it's also not just a design firm. You've got the, the, the design side of it. You've got the business side of it. And I, I love this, by the way, because Anna, you're at home where you guys designed this gorgeous mid-century modern Hudson Valley home. And Aaron, you're, you're holed up at the office, you know, cause you're, you're an accountant. You're like, Hey, I'm, this is all business. So I'm curious, um, you know, staying away from so that, so how'd you meet, but kind of, what's interesting is you've expanded on your partnership a little bit. So I want to talk about the back. I want to talk about you guys designing your own house for the first time, but I'm really interested marriage aside, because that partnership is something totally different. How did you guys decide, knowing that your, your careers are so vastly different, how did you decide to start working together? Well, they are different, but at the end of the day, we're still in a customer service business, which I think is the underlying business of what we both do. We, we perform different services for our clients and for our customers. Um, but at the end of the day, it is still a customer service business where we're trying to help people, work with other people, uh, make a current situation that they have a little bit easier, a, a little bit better. Um, I would say when we first started, and please interrupt me anytime, um, as usual, when we first started, um, I was in an office in Rhinebeck and Anna Claudia was working with me in the office. Um, she has always wanted uh, to have a storefront. Uh, so when the storefront became available, it was a great opportunity. Um, and we decided to do it together. And working together has not been uh, something that we haven't done. I mean, the, again, not going back to the, how we met, but looking back from the beginning, we've always kind of been on to the next thing 
and together. Um, you know, it, things happened kind of quickly and then we decided to move in together and we were designing an apartment there. And then we decided to, to get a weekend home and, you know, that was a new project and designing that project. So working together has, I think, really been something that we've done from the beginning. And I think is a really strong foundation for our relationship. The fact that we can work together and the fact that we respect each other's opinions and views, um, listen to one another mostly, um, and can uh, you know find common ground in order to put a project together. And whether that project be the back, whether that be our office, or whether that be our home. Yeah, we started our relationship um, as soon as we moved in together in our apartment in Brooklyn, we came up with this, uh, I guess, tagline of teamwork, you know? So every time we did something together, we give each other like a little cheesy high five and then say teamwork and so forth, because that's, that's how we just base things. Every time we accomplish something together, we're like, yeah, we did it as a team. And so then it became more of like a part of the strength of our relationship. And, um, and it's very hard, like, because we're both entrepreneurs too, we're both like in customer service, but we're both entrepreneurs. We can end the day and have a conversation about business and how your day was and really understand which, which the perspective of, of our day, you know, understand each other and so forth and the perspectives. And I can always, you know, give him advice and he gives me business advice and so forth, um, which I think, you know, a lot of relationships, you know, when people aren't both entrepreneurs, they could talk about work, but you know they don't have that um, that part in common. So that really helped too. Um, so we always kind of like blur the lines between personal and business because as an entrepreneur, those lines are blurred anyways. Yeah, and I and it's funny because I I guess too, if as a married couple you can handle a full home renovation to the studs, you can pretty much live through anything. Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, um, I, I think that's what and it makes sense because, you know, you're deciding on certain things. The fact that we did a renovation together, though, I mean, I always say it's cheating because with her being an interior designer, it made in some senses things easier for me. I mean, I wasn't the one going through a hundred different faucet choices. Uh, she would and then come to me with the best three. Um, so there were things that were definitely done a little bit easier and the fact that she's done renovations and treated it almost as another client i think helped so it was kind of that personal emotional involvement was a little bit removed um you know and we kind of looked at it almost as a you know again another business or a project yeah it was good having him because like even though it frustrated me that he had an opinion it was good because then like, I also wasn't like left to my own vices, which, you know, if you know interior designers who designed their own homes, like sometimes it can take a lot longer than it would any other project because we know too much and we know too many choice. We know all the choices and there's too many. So his opinion did help and, and, and help us move forward in a quick manner. Well, I think it's interesting too, because you have, you have the creative side and you have the business side. I want to sort of back up a little bit. So Anna, you're you're a designer, and Aaron, you're you're a you're an accountant, and one of the things that you do is you're working with creatives, and you're working mm -hmm. with designers, and you know it's a it's an interesting idea that I mean that's not all you work with, but I think right. that you know in in my years talking to creatives, 
the the hardest part I think for creatives to deal with as they run their business is the part about actually running their business. It's not a matter of just how much work can I get, you know, because the more work you get, the more back end you have to do. And it's really important to nurture the business and take care of the business and make sure that you're compliant and make sure that you're taking care of everything. When, But at the same time, I imagine too that it's a little frustrating dealing with creatives because you, you get creativity and everything. It's like, well, the tax law doesn't exactly appreciate creativity. Well, uh, I'll counter that actually. The tax law, there is a lot of gray in the tax law and there are certain rules, laws, regulations, situations that apply to one line of business or one entity that do not apply to another. Um, because it's in the news, uh, you know, the, the president has gotten a little bit of flack, recent New York Times article that he had $70,000 worth of haircuts that he took deductions for. Um, if your job was to be a model, and if you had to get a haircut for every single movie that you were going into or for that shoot, that would be deductible. Yeah. If you're a businessman, it's not deductible. So, and that's just one example of many where something can pertain to one level of individual or business and not another. So I always like to say that math actually lends to creativity. And I think the tax law lends to creativity. You know, you can get to four by adding two plus two or three plus one or five minus one. That's three ways already just to get to one number. So there's a lot of different ways to get to the same answer. And I found that not only creatives have a hard time with kind of the financial aspect, but we've had issues where lawyers have a hard time managing and balancing their books or doctors have a hard time managing and balancing their books. Um, the creative side, I really enjoy working on because it's, you know, I'm able to tap into a little bit of my creativity as well. Um, I think we are helping that industry and it's fun um, also to be in that industry and to be able to help people that may not necessarily be thinking about, you know, the proper sales tax rates to collect and charge, uh, quarterly taxes to pay. Um, so what we try and do is focus on that and educate on those items so the creative can do what the creative does. And I, I'm, I'm just curious too, what is, you know, if you had to say, you know, here, here are the five things that designers See, it's funny because I separate designers from architects all the time because I, I feel like because architects are more uh, math based from a business standpoint, I think that um, it comes a little bit more naturally to them as far as running a practice, running a firm, because design is so it's so basically creative. You know, you they're, they're, the rules are really so few and far between when it comes to that that I think the business side of it is approached the same way. I'm curious, what do you see as the, the most um, misunderstood part of the business side as it relates to both taxes and running the business? Um, because it's interesting, the accountant sees more than just the tax side of things. You can look at how somebody presents their information to you and say, okay, you know what, there's no way they're running a, an efficient business. I, I'm just curious what you see. Yeah, I mean, I would I would preface it by saying that shoe boxes are meant for shoes. So when someone comes with a box full of receipts, I know that that's an issue right there. Um, having good and accurate records from the beginning, I, I think a lot of people 
will kick it down the road um, and say, well, I'm not making that much money right now. I didn't need to file. I didn't need to keep track of everything. That couldn't be further from the truth. It's, it's much easier to put out the fire when it's a little ember than when it's burning out of control and you have to go back in time and fix things. So, you know, I would say just as the designer relies on individuals, um, I would say that the designer should also hire the proper individuals and the, the proper professionals and get the right accountant in order and get the right lawyer in order from the beginning and set the entity up properly. You know, are you an LLC? Do you have a partner? Are you opening up a store and you have funding and you need loans? How are you going to structure that? And make sure that the finances are in order also. Uh, make sure you have enough money to start the project. Um, even for me at the beginning or, or an interior designer, I would say at the beginning, you know, the barriers to entry are probably pretty low. Uh, you know, you have a website, you know, if you don't have rent, if you don't have employees, you know, it's pretty easy just to kind of hang your shingle and now you're in business. Um, but, but make sure that you have enough money where if you, you know that your costs are $5,000 a month, you know, make sure you have $60,000 for the year. If you make zero income, make sure you have enough to cover your costs because you wanna be able to make sure that you're in business when the concept eventually evolves and takes place. You know, you don't wanna only have enough for six months when you need seven months, right? For it to actually come to. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's really interesting too about the year that we've had is when, when catastrophe strikes, but it doesn't just strike you and your business. It, it doesn't just affect the industry. It doesn't just affect your locality. It affects everybody and it affects everything. Those, uh, those instances are really few and far between. Shifting gears now, um, wanted to ask you about the Beck. Um, I, I wanna hear, I wanna know more about Hudson Valley because it sounds like a pretty special place. Um, I've never been, but <laughs> you know, between the design house and it seems like a lot is going on there, but I want to hear about the back. I want to hear about the idea behind it and sort of why you put it together and what, what the expectations are and how current times have sort of affected those plans. Um, well, so last year, I'll go back when we lived in Brooklyn, for example, um, and I worked on my projects in the city a lot of times I would try to bring in local designers and so forth. And I was early in my business, so budgets for my clients didn't always like cater to that, but I tried you know, to bring in like a light fixture or a piece of art or something. When we moved to the Hudson Valley, I knew I had an inkling that there were creatives here, but I didn't really grasp how many creatives had moved up here. I think a lot of them, uh, were moved out of Brooklyn and the city because rent was so high and manufacturing was so high. And uh, some of them would just, you know, have their own wood shops up here and started to go solo and so forth. And then last year I took part of the Kingston Design Showhouse and it was a great way to connect uh, interior designers to the community by, by introducing to them to local makers. Uh, so I made it a priority of mine to design my room based on curating the products of local makers and vendors in the Hudson Valley. Um, some, you know, some designers to them, it's very important to just showcase their work and have that standout room where people are like, oh, I want to work with this designer. 
Um, I think, you know, when somebody saw my room, actually one person even said that it was too minimal, but the whole point was that I wanted to every single piece to stand out on their own because it was about the collaborative uh, process of working with local makers. Um, Hudson Valley is like a beautiful dichotomy of like creatives, you know, uh, hard workers, but who also needed that time and, 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 and space to expand and take a breath. And um, so there's something just really kind of nice and connecting that you have with the people who move up here. For them, it's not about the fruit fruit parties or this and that. It's about like, you know, being with part of the community, uh, having these beautiful, I'm looking outside my window right now and it's raining, but it's beautiful because it's autumn and you have this beautiful nature surrounding you. And you can't help, even if you're <laughs> lived in a city for a long time and moved up here, to slow down a little bit when you're up here, you know, because it's it's you have that opportunity to do so. So it's it's a really beautiful community. Um, they're also very proud of their community and the history. So uh, anybody who moves up here has to show a certain amount of respect um, because. If you go to a certain city and you feel like, like, for example, there's been some developers that have gotten some backlash and so forth. If you feel like you can come here and tell them what the community is, you know, and, and that the philosophy should be this, the, the locals will, <laughs> will tell you, will put you in your place um, that you can't just come in here and tell them what to do. Uh, so, you know, you have to also respect them, uh, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's a special, um, the Hudson Valley itself, I mean, they pretty much created farm to table. I mean, th this is where, you know, the industry came from. So there's a very strong culinary scene here. Um, there is great food here. It's great weather. It's 12 months out of the year activities. I mean, when we were kind of looking at a, a, a second home, um, you know, the Hamptons, there's only one way in, one way out. There's a certain attitude about it. Whereas upstate and with the Hudson Valley, there's multiple ways to get there. There's multiple value from property standpoint, and there's multiple activities of things to do. As well as the creative uh, environment with the people that, that are here. Um, you know, the Beck, it's kind of Anna Claudia's baby in, in, in some sense, because it it marries everything that she, you know, was just describing and what she wants to do. It's creating a community. Um, it's showcasing certain designers and uh, makers that may not necessarily have had that opportunity in the past. You know, it may be a one person shop. Uh, so now here you, you can have essentially a gallery space for three months out of the year where there's multiple foot traffic. Um, and you're getting a lot of exposure. Uh, so it's bringing other people together to, to really shine a light um, on all the talent that is here in the Hudson Valley. So I'm curious, Anna Claudia, how, considering that you put this together, and it's funny, Aaron, because you called this a love letter to the Hudson Valley. You know, you called the Becca love letter to it. Cause it, I mean, I get this, it's a special place you really want to celebrate. The, the one, you know, I can kind of make a correlation out here to, you know, West Coast to Palm Springs, you know, something similar mm -hmm. to that. Um, and so I get the feel, I get the vibe. 
I, I'm curious because here's something that I think many, if not most of the design industry is struggling with. You've, you've created something that is, a, that is a landmark, that is a place, and now we're not going to places right now. Will that change? Absolutely. I'm curious, in the meantime, how did you pivot? Because I, I get from you too, it's really interesting. I read the story about your house and sort of how you got it and how you designed it um, and how you approached it. The pivot does not seem like a foreign concept to you. And I always like to talk to people who seem to get the understanding that, you know, being nimble, being flexible is something that's really important. And so when you have a, a landmark space and spaces are not something that we're really focusing on right now, it doesn't mean it has to stop. It just means you have to sort of reimagine it. How did you approach the reimagination and what are you doing with it now? Well, we, we, we signed the lease in July, so nice. <laughs> we were already pivoted. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think, uh, I mean, for many years I worked in retail and I, I thought that retail was wonderful. You know, some people work in restaurants when they go to school and some people work retail. I worked retail and, um, I loved working retail in a customer service. It honed me for my business but I also didn't love the inventory and the, you know, uh, sometimes you couldn't focus on one thing because then somebody would come in and then you're like, okay, I got to drop everything. Let me talk to this customer and so forth. Um, so there was like a lot of distractions with um, the back, really like we have our offices behind the back, but the gallery space is by appointment only. And the gallery space is at the storefront. It's right on the front window. So people who are walking by can just appreciate the designs when just, you know, we're lucky to have like a great restaurant next to us who has been accommodating through these times, you know, with outdoor seating and so forth. And so people will eat there, walk by our store and they see these beautiful sculptural pieces from right now, Morgan from Fado uh, has in our window. And we're uh, having signage done that, you know, tells a story for each maker. So it's, it was already like thought and pivoted to accommodate, you know, our situation right now, but it was also thought and pivoted from the beginning to not be exactly what people assumed it was going to be, which was like a showroom or a store or a store, you know, of some sort. Um, because we both, uh, the Beck is our envelope the envelope to our offices, you know, uh, and we work inside the back in our consecutive businesses. Yeah. I mean, it's also because we have the, there's a lot of foot traffic here. I mean, Rhinebeck itself, the downtown of Rhinebeck is not very big. I mean, it's a very small intersection, but there are, there's, it's very densely packed with restaurants and little shops and little hotels. So even though there is still, you know, a mask mandate in New York, there are people walking around, everyone has a mask on, but there's still foot traffic. And we see people walk by the window and they stop and they look and they're like, oh, what is that? Um, so it's not a store. And as Anna Claudia was mentioning, it's not heavily inventory based. So we don't have a thousand pieces. We don't have to worry about restocking. You know, it's one piece, three pieces, it changes quarterly. Um, and then, you know, we're obviously still trying to take advantage of Instagram and websites and you still have that component. Um, 
so, you know, the, the flexibility of it, there's, we still have the presence and we're on a major road. Uh, nine north and south is really only, way, only one way to go. So there's still not only the foot traffic, but car traffic where, you know, the, the store itself is very prominently placed with signage. Um, so it's creating, you know, its own kind of buzz uh, by itself. Um, you know, the pivot also at the end of the day, I mean, it, we both still work here. Like both of our independent offices are here. I mean, this isn't like a separate showcase gallery that people are going to. I mean, we're, if it weren't a gallery at all, we would still be paying rent for our offices mm -hmm. to, to be able to operate in. So it, it's very multi-serviced um, and, and multi-purposed with, with what we're able to do with it. And I think one thing that I forgot to mention is that we are um, outfitting our office with local makers. So Aaron's desk is getting made locally. We had a, a local company do the signage behind him and so forth. I mean, we still have like about a month away before we're, our offices are complete. The gallery is already open for the most part. Uh, so when somebody comes to see Aaron to talk about their taxes, they're going to see works, you know, of furniture and works of art from somebody who's local. So that's another way of like um, opening uh, that conversation up and having more people purchase from, from the Hudson Valley. That's that's very cool, and it and it also seems extremely strategic, um, which I think is which I think is great. Sort of shifting into, and I I really wanted to ask you both about this because I I think you have a diff, you have a different perspective, you know, one from the creative side, one from the business side, but I'm curious how it all comes together. So where we are now, this this time of un uncertainty, for especially as it relates to design and architecture. I, I can't help but feel, especially after speaking with as many creators as, as I do, we're, we're on the precipice of something really amazing and really remarkable as it relates to design and architecture, residential, hospitality, um, even commercial for that matter. We're kind of in this weird incubation period because we're limited by what we can do. But as things continue to happen, there's gonna be a vaccine. There's going to be a coming out phase. There's, you know, everyone's gonna sort of come out a little bit and it's like, I'm a little, do I take the mask <laughs> off in public? It's gonna happen. You know, there's going to be this process by which we come out of this and things start to normalize. The one thing that we have learned and the one thing that is absolutely true is, and it's not one thing, but it's one thing in general, offices are almost kind of like a thing of the past as we know them now. Doesn't mean they're gonna go away, but they are definitely gonna change. The way that they changed in the 80s and 90s, they completely changed. Um, residences are gonna change. You know, if you, as a designer, Anna Claudia, as a, as a designer, you've seen over the years, you know, it's kind of like the, the idea of the formal living kind of goes away. You know, you're in a mid-century modern home and the ideas that were espoused in mid-century modern, you know, sort of that modern aesthetic back to Bauhaus, it's sort of like how to make a home more of a home, right? How to make it more, more suitable to the people that live there. That's like, I feel like we're going there again. And I feel like as that happens, the business is, going to change as well. You know, right now, 
Aaron, we're in the midst of this, you know, there's going to be another, um, there's going to be another business stimulus, we hope of some sort, that's going to prop up the business. I'm curious, fortune favors the bold, right? As, as people look at how they want to expand their business, I wanted to sort of ask you guys from both the business and the creative side, how you approach that and sort of what you're looking at as you, as you move into what's next. You want to go ahead? Um, it, it's a hard, it, that, that was a lot of, <laughs> that was a lot of layers. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, as far as commercial design goes, I think we're all just trying to kind of figure out, we don't know, we don't know how long this is going to take, you know, so let's say everything opens up in January, which is very unlikely. Um, people could almost go back to the way things were to a certain extent, because it's not far, it's not far too long or too far away or whatever it is. Uh, that COVID happened and then the doors open and they're like, okay, like it's not a far memory. I can go back into a conference room and go back to my cubicle and so forth. Um, I think the longer we're in this situation, the more people are going to adapt to the current environment and also uh, rethink how they function um, in the office and at home. You know, now people are uh, taking uh, a chance, I guess, you know, putting their kids back in schools because they have that opportunity and working from home and getting their schedules back on track. Um, but what if schools close again? You know, like they're going to have to reimagine and rethink again, like their floor plan. They're going to I mean, right now they're even already a lot of people are. Uh, moving into more square footage because of that situation where they need a separate room for their kids or for their office and so forth. Um, so it, it's hard to gauge how things are going to change. Even with us, like we have our office set up to have employees that are over six feet apart. We have air purifiers and humidifiers um, we have the AC with a fan system. Um, we have everything that's kind of set up to have somebody there and to help with to help with them feeling comfortable and having the air quality there. But at the same time, like we can't have anybody there just yet. So we're still meeting people in our backyard, you know, uh, without masks or inside with masks. So. Um, it's just so hard to say, you know, I think when people think that they have a good grasp on what is going to happen, they will quickly realize that you can't get stuck <laughs> with that idea because things are going to pivot and change. Yeah, I mean, with us, um, I have never really been a, a big proponent of remote working and working from home, at least with my staff. You know, I always thought office is office work and uh, being in a more of a professional industry, it's the cubes, it's office, it's camaraderie, it's a bullpen. Um, we closed the office uh, in March. I've been, everyone else has been working from home. I've been working out of the Rhinebeck office. Productivity has not decreased. Um, my employees are happy working from home. 
I don't know when we go back, but when we do, personally, the five day a week in the office is a thing of the past, kind of is what you were mentioning. People are going to have the opportunity to work two, three days in the office if they want, it's there, or two, three days at home if they want. Um, people don't like commuting. And I think that this has shown the, like how important it is for people to live where they want to live, not necessarily live where they need to be close to work. Um, you know, certain people are living, especially in the city, they live, you know, 20 minutes out, 30 minutes out, they pay a lot in real estate taxes, they pay too much for a home because they need to be 30 minutes away from work, because they can't be two hours away from work because they have to pick up the kids from school. Now you can live two hours away from work. Uh, if you're working remotely, if you only have to go in once a week, once a month. So I think there's going to be a dramatic shift there. Um, I think the co-working spaces, the, the WeWork concept, the Regis concept, that's going to be dramatically changed. You know, I don't think people want to be in a room with 20 other people. Um, I think that's going to change. Um, so, you know, we're adjusting as things are going and kind of being on the fly and being communicative to, you know, are, well, what are you comfortable with? You know, one of my guys has to get on a bus and come to wealth. You don't want to sit on a bus. You're going to stay working from home and that's fine. So it's, it's respecting what each person wants. You know, we're small, we're nimble. We're not a large company that says, all right, everybody's back January 1st. And that's, you know, that's the way it is. Um, I think like any disaster or any situation, there arises uh, ingenuity and there will be new careers and new jobs and new industries that arise from something like this that wasn't available before. Um, you know, a lot of our restaurants in the city are, are hurting. A lot are closing. I mean, there are some iconic restaurants that are, that are closing. Uh, we have four-star restaurants, Michelin-starred restaurants that are closing. Um, you know, some of the fast casuals are, are around. You know, maybe there will be more pickup around, um, you know, something that Anna Claudia will do and, and architects will do, it will be designing more of an, uh, a space that allows for more separation. Um, you know, I, I think that the buffet line is probably a thing of the past. You know, I can't imagine anybody wanting to do that anytime soon. Um, but I do think there will be additional jobs that are created, you know, whether it be the gig economy, whether it be people that were working for an architecture firm, an advertising firm, an interior design firm, and, and saying, you know what, I was in the office, I understood and I liked it, but I'm going to do this on my own. And because I've been home, I've had an, uh, an ability to think about a business plan to kind of map out what I can do. And now I'm going to try it myself. So I think that this will spawn even more of an entrepreneurial spirit in a lot of people. Um, because they're actually going to see that the, you know, the coveted security of a nine to five job isn't really that secure anymore. And if you have a little bit more control of your situation, who you work with, when you work with them, what you charge them, I think people are going to see, and again, unfortunately, it may take a disaster to, to realize this, but it has put priorities in place. Um, you know, I think people are now prioritizing family time, if you like your family anyway, a little bit more, you know, and saying, you know what, that commute, I was doing it, I was making X, I would take a little bit less to now be closer to home. You know, I enjoy coaching my daughter's baseball team, I enjoy picking up my son from practice, whatever the case may be. So I think that, you know, again, with change comes other change. And I think more growth will come out of it that could be beneficial. 
I'm curious too, because I totally agree with you. I, I also wonder from the, from the business side of it, from the accounting, from the tax side of it, because here's, this is one of the things that I, I keep coming back to. And one of the reasons I was, ex I was excited to talk to you, uh, both of you, Anna Claudia and, and Aaron for different reasons. The, um, you know, the, the tax side of it right now, there are things that designers can do. There are things that creators can do because of where we are in, in the world. And because, you know, if there's another stimulus program, there are things that they can do about with regard to hiring. There are things that they can do with regard to managing their payroll. There are things that they can do with regard to looking at how to, I think going backwards, have, speaking to a lot of designers who tried to apply for the stimulus loans, a lot of them just dropped out because it was so complex and it was so difficult and challenging and it seemed so disorganized. I feel like, and here's, here's the catch 22. You can't focus and learn all the things you don't know when you're struggling and challenged by trying to get the business up off the ground. And it makes it really challenging to get the business up off the ground if you're trying to deal with all of the things that you don't know. And so I'm curious, as we move forward, is there, is there some sort of predictive tool to say, okay, well, based on what happened last time, here's what's most likely to happen again. And should this happen again, here's the best way. Yes, I know you're laughing. It's like, well, no, yeah. but how do you manage that? Um, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, I would say when the bill passed, I think the bill passed, the initial CARES Act passed on a Friday. Um, I probably had 200 emails and phone calls before Monday. What does this mean? How does it affect me? What do I need to do? Um, so what I need to do and what people rely on us to do is educate ourselves. Um, tax in general is always changing. Uh, you know, if we have a new administration in a month from now, there will be additional changes that are coming into the pike for 2021. So, you know, we really, we just need to really, you know, read up on all of the new information and how it pertains to certain people. The Paycheck Protection Program, um, the first round was a mess. I mean, it was like the wild, wild west. I only knew of maybe two clients that got money the first go round. Uh, the second go round, it seemed that everybody got one. So, you know, back to my earlier point, I, I would say that the designer should not try and do it by themselves. I think that this is an over, overwhelming topic, an overwhelming subject where, like you mentioned, I'm dealing with payroll, office management, business, clients, customer service. There's no way that I can possibly now educate myself or learn or even understand the language of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I would say, biasly, hire someone that can go through that with you. Um, predictively, I have no idea. I mean, there has been, uh, the HEROES Act has been sitting on uh, the Senate desk for, since May, I believe. Um, whether or not new stimulus is passed and to what extent and to what industry they target, I have no idea. Um, you know, there's talk about a specific restaurant bailout, uh, theater bailout. You know, these are industries that through no fault of their own just cannot survive or haven't been able to survive, you know, when there are shutdowns or when there are, you know, limits on how many people can be in a certain room at a certain time. So, you know, the designer, I would say, understand your business. And this kind of goes back to the five things that you were looking at, you know, understand your business, understand your limitations, understand how you can come in and disrupt an industry 
um, and adapt to the new industry. But when it comes to how am I going to apply for this loan, you hire somebody. Um, you know, you don't try and do it yourself because again, it can be overwhelming and frustrating and uh, mistakes can happen. So, you know, it, it may be a simple advice, um, but that, that to me would be the best thing, you know, the best thing for them to go forward. And Aaron makes a good, makes a good point about like understanding your business. I mean, the first thing I did when COVID happened and we were quarantined at home is that I just started <clears throat> listening to a whole lot of podcasts about <laughs> business and a creative industry. And um, uh, also like I started connecting with other interior designers and trying to figure out like, what, how are you guys handling this? What are you guys doing? Um, how are you guys charging? How are you pivoting? Um, I mean, I'm lucky to have married an accountant, but like, honestly, if you are working from home and you don't have the money to pay somebody to help you ask for help from friends. You know, like if you have a friend or a family member that is a lawyer or an accountant or anything like that, or another interior designer, that's very successful. Um, ask for help, ask for advice. Um, I think as a community, I'm not sure with everybody, but for me, I feel like uh, we've opened up more, uh, to helping each other out, um, for giving each other advice, to being there. We're all in the same playing field. We're all going through the same thing. Uh, so I, more people are more open to that. I also found that like, you know, collectives and collaboratives within our industry are more common now. So, you know, there's no like scare, like I'm afraid of giving you my trade secrets. You know, we're open to like communicating how we can or should do things. Uh, another thing before COVID, um, you know, my structure of the business changed where I was starting to do more purchasing and I just got really overwhelmed. And I realized then, like, cause before then I, I was looking for like a design assistant or something like that. And then I realized, you know, where I'm lacking is somebody to do administration and to do like office management and, uh, operations. And so I hired somebody to do that. Um, I think like that should be an interior designer's first hire, to be honest with you, um, because it's going to take that situation uh, or that responsibility off your plate. But also you're bringing a different perspective into your business of how you should move forward. You know, you're bringing somebody who's not from your industry, giving you advice like, well, you know, Anna Claudia, you know, maybe you should spend a little bit more here and not there. Or why don't you change your fee structure? Because I'm looking at your books and I feel like that, you know, will be benefit you best. And so it's good to have that different perspective than just having somebody else who has the same background as you. It's funny too. And as I, as I listen to both of you speak, I'm thinking, you know, I hear it all the time when I'm talking to designers in particular, not so much with architects, but with designers, it's, you know, that clients will shop you. They will look on Pinterest and they will think that they can do better than you do because they, they saw, you know, they saw something pinned that, that, so they'll, they'll start becoming their own designers. And it's generally when they screw something up in, in a major way, then they realize, Oh, you know what, maybe I should go get the professionals. I, I, I feel like it's it's lesser so with taxes, maybe not because it, it's so impactful. But I think too, Anna Claudia, to your point that 
the collaborative part of this, you're right. A lot of designers don't like to share or they don't feel comfortable sharing because it's, it's a very competitive industry, you know, well, who, then they're going to come after my clients. If I share my business practices and how I'm doing this, then, you know, and, and I learned, I learned the same thing, you know, really early on, this is a second career for me and I've been podcasting for over 10 years. And I got news for you. When I started Convo by Design seven years ago, as a as a design focused podcast, the first thing I had to do with everybody was explain what a podcast was. Then people started saying, "Hey, you know, I want to kind of do this for myself. You know, how do I do it?" I to your point, I've gotten more friends and collaborative partners by sharing what I know than by keeping it to myself. You know, yeah, it's the that's... same thing. Sorry, not to interrupt. No, um, I, I agree completely. And one of the reasons, I mean, I, I don't believe in the hourly model. I bill on a flat fee. And I think that the two things that really we do focus on a firm are education and responsiveness. I want to educate you on your tax return. I want you to understand what you're doing, why you're doing, what the ramifications are. And I think a lot of practitioners, both accountants and attorneys and, and maybe interior designers and podcast producers, they want to keep that secret. They want to keep that in order to justify the high fees. Uh, and I think it really is, is rooted in insecurity. Um, our clients really appreciate the, the value add and the empowerment that comes with that education. Um, and I think, you know, th there's enough business out there. I mean, I think if you really are kind and free with your time and educate, people appreciate that, they remember that, they recognize that. And it just leads to, you know, you being more of an expert, I think, in the field. If you're able to communicate what you do, you know how to do it. And, you know, I, I think another reason that some professions keep it, keep it at heart, it's really just to justify high fees. Um, and probably an, an inability to articulate exactly what's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, the interior collab that she had started, um, I, I think it's just a great way to get like-minded people together. Um, you know, there's enough, pot, there's enough listeners out there for a million podcasts. You know, there are enough clients out there for multiple accounting firms. There's enough clients out there for multiple interior designers. So, you know, I think the clients appreciate that. So same question for both of you. Uh, last question that I have, because I'm interested, you know, Claudia, you mentioned that you, you went out and you found the help that you needed. I I'm curious, in retrospect, what you did right and maybe what you did wrong as you looked for that assistant that could help you and provide you with what you needed. And then same question to Aaron, you guys, you know, Anna Claudia go first, but then to Aaron, you know, what, because creative industries are so specific um, and as it relates to accounting and taxes and, and which is really a cornerstone of running the business, what questions are the ones not most asked, but what are the questions that most should be asked? And Anna Claudia, I'll, I'll start with you as far as your experience. So in the past, um, I was always scared to ask for help, <laughs> you know, because I felt like I was bothering somebody and so forth. And, you know, fear is your hindrance to progress, right? So 
um, the more I, I think Aaron can even say it. Like when we first started dating, he would be like, can I help you with this? And I'd be like, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what I realized is that, you know, I can't do everything on my own. And I also approach that with my clients, you know, like, uh, you know, it's more candid conversations about the process, about what we're doing, how it can help them. If they come up with ideas, I'm open to hearing them. I, you know, to me, you know, the design pro the design is for them. It's not for me, for my portfolio um, and so forth. And then when I was running my business, you know, we always have moments where we're just trying to like catch our own tail and we're spinning a little bit. Um, you know, I have, mo we all have those moments. And I had that moment last year trying to figure out how do I grow? Why, you know, should I stay where I am and so forth. And then, you know, I realized, I don't know how, but, you know, I've tried interviewing, you know, other designers for the interior design assistant position. This isn't panning out. I'm not sure why, but I also take it as a message <laughs> that this isn't working. So let me look at it in a different lens. And then I decided to have somebody hire somebody to help me with the back end work. And now I have somebody who helps me with design too, you know? So um, I believe a lot, like you put a certain energy to something and if it's not working, <laughs> you need to reassess <laughs> um, and not get stuck. You know, because then it's just like, you're going to get the same output. <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, so I think that's important, you know, um, and just have candid conversations with friends. I, I became more friends. I started, I didn't go to school for interior design. I went to school for architecture. And then uh, post-architectural school, I worked in architecture for a bit. And then I kind of was trying to figure my life out and so forth. So I never had that big pocket or group of interior design friends uh, to talk about uh, the, the business. But um, I ended up finding them being in the industry. And I, it's, it's great, you know, doing the show house and meeting interior designers within the Hudson Valley community has been great because I'll, like even yesterday, I'll email them, you know, do you have a good moving company, a good receiver that's in Hudson Valley? And right away, three people are like, here's a name, you know? And um, it's, that's really, really helpful to know that you can kind of bounce off ideas and get feedback from other people and, and so forth. And it's based off on our marriage too. You know, I can bounce off ideas with Aaron and he can give me some feedback and so forth. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, some of the most, I guess the most common questions are what, you know, what's the most important is, you know, am I set up for success? Um, you know, do I just have some harebrained scheme or is this an actual business that, that, you know, that has legs and that can, that can succeed? Um, you know, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure uh, book where you kind of have to go through, if you answer this, this way, then it brings you to this other kind of, you know, line of questioning. Um, do you have an accountant? Do you have an attorney? You know, you're going into business with a friend. Uh, I see it a lot. Oh, we're friends. We're really good friends. You know, we don't have an agreement in place. You know, we're going to split everything. It's fine. You know, when there's no money, it is fine. Uh, if tomorrow there was a million dollars, 
all of a sudden, emotion gets involved in the 50-50 splits a little clouded. Well, I brought it in. It's my contact. It should be split differently. So, you know, it is imperative that everything gets set up properly from the beginning. Um, People want to cut corners, especially at the beginning, especially if you're a startup or, you know, a new industry. And, you know, legal and accounting are usually the first things that you think you could either go to legal zoom on, you know, or TurboTax on. And, and you're really doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, do you have operating agreements in place? Are you registered to properly collect sales tax if you need to be collecting sales tax? Um, are you planning on hiring employees or independent contractors? And if so, are you properly designated them as either an employer or an independent contractor? Um, so, you know, th- that would be the, the really the biggest thing. When I meet with people initially, you know, these are some of the things that we go through. Um, you know, is it just you? How are you going to fund? Are you looking for angel money? Are you going to go to a bank? Is it institutional money? Uh, is it friends and family? Is it bootstrapping? I mean, all of these choices have different, number one, tax ramifications. Um, and number two, possibly entity selection ramifications on how you want to get it set up. So, you know, the advice is usually if, if you want to be X in six months or 12, set it up that way now. Don't say I'm going to set it up one way now and then we'll change it when we need to. Um, if that change is a very high probability of happening, it's better to set it up properly from the get-go, from day one. You know, spend a little bit of money today to save a little bit of money tomorrow. Um, so, you know, those I think are some of the key points that, you know, a lot of people don't ask, um, especially in the creative, because it's, it's those things that you don't know, don't know, that are going to get you in trouble. And, you know, I wouldn't expect that the painter, the designer, the sculptor, and certainly not to categorize, but don't necessarily have those things, you know, at the forefront when starting up uh, a a business. I think it's interesting too, you know, just sort of closing in on that, where we are today, I feel like there are a lot of people that are going to be entering the design industry because the design industry is going to be really, it's going to be huge next year. Um, It's huge now. Um, but next year after things open up a little bit and people take a hard look at the way things are saying, you know what, maybe I don't need a gym. Maybe I can actually put the gym in the house. Maybe I don't need something mm-hmm. else. Cause mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got a yard. I just feel like the, the whole industry will change and a lot of people will be coming into the industry. Um, and as opposed to just viewing it as a short-term prospect, you come in fast and flame out, which happens all the time that they set it up the right way. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Guys, it, this was so great. I am, it's funny. It doesn't feel like an hour, but it, but it has been. And um, I absolutely love it. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, thank Josh. You. Thank you, Ana Claudia. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your extraordinary partnership. Thank you, Thermosol, for your support. Please make sure and catch every episode of the upcoming Wellness and Design Leadership panel series featuring amazing creatives talking about issues that most affect you and your design business. Thank you for listening. My goal is to bring you the stories behind Sublime Design, wherever that may be. To share those stories, bring you business strategies to help you build a stronger firm and inspire you to do your most creative work. For more, please follow us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X. Check us out at ConvoByDesign.com. And until next week, Keep creating and take today first.